Blog Talk Radio. to join us. Uh, good episode tonight. Rams 5-2. Big 33 nothing win over the Arizona Cardinals in London. We're going to be joined by Benjamin Albright in a minute. Um, but the internets are conspiring to keep us from bringing you this wonderful podcast. It's not going to happen. I refuse. I will fight it to the very end. Uh, hit us up on Twitter if you're listening tonight. I'm about to post a show live on Twitter and Facebook. Get at us. Hashtag Tusha Radio. Oh, man, we got a lot to talk about. We got offense, defense, we got game previews, we got all kinds of things going yeah. on. But I think I got our co-host and, on the line. And we Mike's got Ben Albright. <laughs> What's up, man? What's going on? I'm fighting the internet. I was in. Not, I was in. Not being I wasn't in. I was in. I feel you. I think it's just, uh, you know, the, the forces of nature working against us. I'm pretty sure I detect an IP address from the Phoenix, Arizona area code trying to interrupt this family-friendly podcast. I wonder why. Because it's very, very family-friendly. Unless you like Stanton. Seahawks fan. You, dare <laughs> you, you throw one interception, you try to end our podcast? <laughs> What's, What's going on? So, how... How is life over on the East Coast? What's the weather like over there? That's good. The weather is not as bad as it was in L.A. today. I saw it was up there right around 100 degrees, which for the middle of October, ooh. ooh. I, don't, I, I, don't mean, know, you know I don't know what to say. It, part of the problem is it's 2017. Everything's political, and I'm not trying to start flame wars in, in, in any direction. But when it's 100 degrees on October 23rd, something's wrong, man. <laughs> I'm just wrong. You know, it, it's funny. I uh, I know this girl that lives in L.A. now, and she's from um, St. Louis, and she was complaining on uh, social media about how hot it was. And I'm like, somebody's clearly been out of the Midwest too long. Yeah. <laughs> I think, think like she forgot what it's really like. <laughs> but the East Coast is good. It's not, it's not where it's going to be. I mean, I don't know if you're watching Monday Night Football right now. Philadelphia is looking – not Philadelphia. There's not enough, uh, you know, hoodies under the the Eagles jersey. If you know that look, or the sweater <laughs> on top, it's it's not classic East Coast football weather yet. Let's put it like that. Which is troubling because we're almost at the half point of the season and we're not into football weather for uh, the Northeast. That that needs to change. They ju- they just showed the Washington sideline. The coaches are wearing short sleeve shirts, man. That's not right. <laughs> I know that. Uh... Usually, it's weird because I'll be watching a game and it'll be like end of October, you know, and usually it's still decent, you know, 60, 50 degrees when you're watching an East Coast game. 
And then out of nowhere, first game in November, snow, <laughs> snow, rainy, wet, 30 degrees. It's a, that quick turnaround is crazy over there. <laughs> Speaking of quick turnaround, man, we had some rainy weather for week seven for the Los Angeles yeah. Rams, who were neither in Los Angeles nor in Phoenix. This is true. Todd Gurley wasn't a fan of that, too. <laughs> he wasn't very thrilled. I appreciated his candor. I know. I know. I know. He, was, was, he, was, he, was pretty, he was pretty hot about well, it. Well, that's the thing. Is, that's Todd. That's Todd, man. Yeah, Todd is going to be Todd no matter where he is. You got you to gotta respect that. I think that's why Eric Dickerson likes him so much because they're similar. Yeah, I think that's part of it, no doubt. <laughs> but I think part of it, too, is what we saw yet again on Sunday from Todd Gurley on the field, right? As opposed to exactly. last year, as opposed to earlier this season, the Rams are getting it done, dude. Where, where do we, we got a couple minutes before we bring on Ben? What, what do you want to talk about with him? You know, it's 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 a bit impressive to see the consistency. Um, I was uh, just the, as far as the offense and how they're getting it done. You know, you look at the way that Gurley got his hundred yards yet again. You know, like this third week in a row where we've talked about it, but yet again. It hasn't been, you know, some really long run or anything like that. His longest run of the day was the 18-yard touchdown. It was just consistent churning out six, five, seven yards consistently, you know. Um, and it, it looks good. It looks really good. They they figured out a way to consistently move the ball on the ground and then also pick up key third downs through the air. Um, let's not forget that Jared Goff is leading the league in uh, average yards per completion. You know, so it's it's been an impressive formula, but the consistency of which they've executed the formula has been the most imp- impressive thing. It just shows a certain level of versatility on offense to go air ground, air ground, and when they need to go ground heavy, as the the ten uh, the ten minute drive, sixteen plays in the fourth quarter showed yesterday, which is something I can't even remember the last time I seen the the Rams do uh, have a drive like that. <laughs> it was that impressive. second half, yeah. There was a couple of them in the second half where it was it it, it was that very it's the professional you know de, the humiliating torturous drive if you're the opposition where instead of they're not even trying to score they're not trying all they're exactly. trying to do is keep the ball and you can't stop them that's worse than scoring because teams score all the time but when when yeah. you're not even trying to score when you're just trying to gain four or five yards at a time. And the other team can't stop you, and they they know what's coming. That's a killer, but that's a that's soul killer. There's momentum killer drives. What the Rams were doing in the second half on Sunday was soul killer. So let's run through this really quick. You know, as we get into this recap, let's just go through some of the stats of this game because yes, it was a shutout. Um, the the Cardinals, you know, and it was a weird day for shutouts. Actually, I think we saw three total. You know, um, just overall, right. which I. Can't remember the last time, which is probably before I was even born, probably before you were born, where we had that many shutouts in one weekend. You know, but just some of the key stats. You know, the uh, the Cardinals they could have scored. You know, they went down, so it wasn't like the Jaguars against the Colts, for example, where the Colts didn't even getting a scored opportunity. Jaguars could have scored, but they missed a field goal. Outside of that one drive, though, they didn't do much. Here's here's what we got. So total plays, Rams had 78 plays to Cardinals 47, which means they obviously controlled the clock. That, that bears repeating in and of itself, though. <laughs> 39 
minutes took 21 minutes is what the what the the separation was there in the uh type of possession which is wow you literally controlled the ball for double what they had <laughs> they absolutely absolutely dominated but here's the stat that blew me away the most okay the rams had 197 yards the cardinals had 25 <laughs> what <laughs> What? <laughs> How? And the thing is, the, you you know as well as I do what that's on. That has nothing to do with Todd Gurley or Adrian Peterson. No, that's the offensive line and defensive line. The the Rams exactly. line eight yesterday. The Rams line eight. Yeah, they did. It was it was a really dominant performance. I mean, wow. What? <laughs> I feel like a little John sketch from the Chappelle show. Because the only thing I can say to that is what? <laughs> like. Like, how in the world, like, 197 to 25, when I was looking at it uh, last night, I was just like, wow, that's absolutely crazy, you know, and to have 28 first down to their 10. I mean, in every facet of the game, the Rams absolutely dominated this matchup. Uh, the most impressive to me personally was the third down efficiency where the Rams went 13 of 19, and they held the Cardinals at 3 of 12. 13 of 19, that's about 66%. That's that's a very, very, very efficient game, you know, just moving the ball consistently. Uh, and so, that's, that's what happens was, when you can pair a short passing attack with that consistent rushing attack, right? If you can pick up those kind exactly. of three downs. Exactly, and that's kind of uh, that's kind of like the perfect leeway to the next part of the, the the subject. But you know, the inconsistency of the wins of the last four games. This game here, while it being the most consistent. Um, and I know that in talking with just people throughout this past week, uh, speaking with Lenny, then one of them, you know, one thing he kept saying to me Friday night was he wants to see the Rams, you know, really play well in all three level in all three categories. And no, uh, that's what he kept saying on Friday. And then you come out on Sunday, and that's exactly what you get. And the result is a complete shutout. <laughs> you know, where you where you have them play well at all three uh, levels, but this is actually the first game where we've seen it all click in every single department. Like, what was your thoughts just watching this game and just kind of seeing how things unfolded? Well, the thing that was interesting was they started so slow. You, we had such a conservative offensive approach. Remember those first two drives stalled out on the field goals, and everybody yep. was getting frustrated at the lack of forcing the rush because things were going so good on the ground, and it wasn't until we sent Alec Ogletree on the blitz to force that interception uh, that we got an opportunity at the 18-yard line on first down to let Todd Gurley take it in. What I think was interesting about the inconsistency of the last four games is we're three and one in the last four, but each of these games has been different. The Cowboys game was a different game than any of the other four. The Seahawks game was different. The Jaguars game was different. Obviously, this last week was completely different, and we won three of them. I think that's really one of the strengths of what we've seen in the 2017 Rams is there's no one pattern. Unlike the Fisher Bowl era, there's no one pattern for these guys to win games. They're getting it done in different ways. Uh, and I think that's a, probably a, as good a segue as we can to bring on our guest of the week, uh, Mr. Benjamin Albright, coming to us, the co-host from My High Sports, 1340 and 104.7 FM from Denver, Colorado. Ben, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Good to be back. Uh, good to yeah, thank you. Back. Hey. Simple simple question for you. I know you've got a lot of touch points throughout the NFL and throughout sports media. Everybody, The, the Rams are 5-2. and two. They're going into this bye. The power rankings are going to come out tomorrow and look pretty nice for them. 
what are people saying about the Rams throughout the NFL? What, how, is, how is this being taken? Is it, is it something where they can say, yeah, we saw this coming, the Sean McVay hire, the Wade Phillips hire, this franchise just needed to get away from Jeff Fisher? Or is it something where it's more dynamic and in a year where the NFL looks really strange, I guess you could say, that this is just part of that? I think it's a combination of the two. You know, I think uh, I think people look around the league and they say, "Hey, this is the this is the league's had the most parity it's had in years." Um, you know, but then on the flip side of that, if you look at the tape, Rams are one of the four best teams in the NFC. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that's you know really debatable. Um, they have an explosive offense. They've got a defensive gap to you. Um, you give up yardage in chunks, but Wade Phillips' defenses tend to give up yardage. It's points they don't give up. Uh, you know, and they come back and they turn you over and they force you into field goals in the red zone and things like that. So, um, you know, I think the game plan is working. I think you have to really kind of applaud the Rams uh, for what they did when they got away from Fisher and. They said, okay, what do we want to do here? What are we looking to do? They went out. They got a young, energetic head coach. They paired him with a lot of veteran coaches from around the league. Uh, and, they get, and, you know, he got a quarterback, Savant Matt LaFleur, uh, to come be his OC and work with him and work on golf. You, you pair up a power run game with a quick pass game, and all of a sudden you're an explosive football team with an aggressive defense. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, the Rams have been dogged for some personnel choices that they made in the draft over the last couple of years. I think that's um, – there's certainly a lot of blame, especially on the offensive line with selections that they've made. The other picks that they've made haven't been that bad. Rockers is pretty good, maybe taking a little high. Aaron Donald's phenomenal. Uh, and then you look around, you know, some of the other guys. Quinn, um, you look at some of the other picks that they've made, I mean, especially on the defensive side of the football, they've been pretty good. Um, you know, the offensive side of the ball, not so much, but you got a coach over there who can use those weapons. <clears throat> So, Ben, you, you touched on it a little bit already, you know, saying that they're one of the best teams in the NFC. But would you say the Rams are the best team in the NFC West just so far in this division, what we've seen so far from um, all four teams? Uh, who who are you? Who would you say is uh, kind of the top dog in the division? Well, uh, I would say the team I'm most scared of in the NFC West would be the Rams. I mean, you may have to default to Seattle because they're Seattle. Um, but, you know, in the end, I would say that I'm more afraid of the Rams than I have Seattle. Seattle can be beat. Um, they've got a bad offensive line, so, and, and they can be beat. Um, so, I, you know, all you got to do is keep the pressure on them and, uh, you know, keep keep running the football effectively on your side of the ball, and, you you, you know, you can take the game down to the wire and then beat them. Um, <clears throat> I, I would say that the best teams in the NFC right now, two of them are playing tonight, um, and then you've got the Vikings, and then you've got the Rams. And I, to me, those are the four best teams on tape. So, you know, last time you were on and we talked and uh, we discussed the legitimate possibility of Leslie being gone after this season. And considering, you know, everything that you just said, like the Rams are legitimately at this point one of the uh, scarier teams, uh, not just in the NFC, but kind of in the NFL because they can really kind of hit you from so many different ways just the way they've played. Um, with the way that they performed so far, you know, in our last discussion about Leslie possibly it, uh, that been a legitimate possibility that he could be gone. Would we? Is it safe to say now that it's possible with uh, the great start and just the the turnaround that we've seen so far that he could be sticking around a little while longer? Um, I would say that his uh, employment uh, tends on the day to day mood of your head coach. There, <laughs> um, you know, your, your head coach has all the cachet right now, and if all of a sudden they aren't getting along, they'll jettison that general manager and find a new general manager that'll get along with the head coach to win the football games. 
See, I mean, you yeah, speak about the general manager and obviously the nature of the roster. Let me ask you this, Ben. How, how much do you – and this is one of those dynamics that I'm I, – I don't know, and I don't know what's being said in the NFL. There are three things going on with the Rams this year. Number one is a new coach and a new coaching staff. Number two is new personnel, whether you're talking about all the new players that they've drafted, guys that they signed through free agency and traded for Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods. Andrew Whitworth, those kind of guys. And then individual development, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, guys who were here last year that are just playing better football this year. What's your sense of which of those three is kind of leading the pack as making – it sounds like maybe you're leaning towards coaching as being the dominant factor in the change this year. Absolutely. New coaching is uh, is yeah. the key. Coaching is key in the NFL. I know there's always the it's not X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's, but, you know, there's there's a lot more to it than that. There's uh, Coaches bring in culture change. Wade Phillips brings in a championship cachet as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, and the offensive guys that they assembled uh, on the offensive line bring, you know, bring cachet with them, guys who are respected at what they do. Matt LaFleur is a quarterback savant. Uh, you know, you, you got Chrome over there who's a, who's, who's a great O-Elk, uh, O-line coach when he keeps his uh, his off field in check, uh, so you know you got guys that are bringing not just you know better X's and O's and a better schematic advantage uh, on both sides of the football, but also uh, guys that are bringing a culture change to the Rams. The Rams had the sad sack, you know, culture change right. before. Uh, you, had, you had a coach who was okay with mediocrity, even if he said we're not doing that seven and nine nonsense on TV. Uh, you know, but but, it, but in the end. Um, it had become a place that had become accustomed to and okay with ultimately mediocrity. Uh, And now you've got coaches that don't accept that, you know, that don't accept rounding out your cut, you know, a yard early, that don't accept uh, loafing on the backside of a play as a, as a, you know, a defensive back when it's a stretch play run to the other side. Uh, So what you've got is is an attitude adjustment, a culture change. I think it's vital. I think restoring the pride in what you do and and maybe making players understand that, you know, if you put those extra efforts in, those extra efforts and those extra inches translate into games and inches make all the difference. Uh, And then you turn around and, you know, and all of a sudden you're winning football games and it starts a snowball effect. So that's how you know you get a pro, Myson. He self-censored himself. Seven and nine nonsense. (laughs) I don't think that was the hashtag, Ben. I don't think that was the hashtag. What you got, Mike? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if this is a family-friendly show or not, so I didn't want to go there. But <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because it's kind of how we started the show off, right? <laughs> but um, so you, you you mentioned you know the game tonight and just what you know the two teams represent playing tonight, and you look at the records just kind of throughout the NFC right now. The top records, you know, everyone's got a loss: five and one Eagles, five and two. Uh, Vikings, the Rams are at three and five and two. You know, just oh, not a lot. It's really a kind of a tight race at this point. Um, if the season ended today, the the bye week will be the Eagles and the uh, Vikings. But considering you know the as you mentioned the turnaround being so he- the coach being so heavily involved in the reason for that turnaround, which I think we all will agree on. And you know, one thing that I you know said a lot this offseason is that when you have a uh, uh, offensive-minded head coach come in and you put in that offensive staff where you have a Greg Olsen, you know, who has a, a really long history of working with quarterbacks and getting a certain level of success out of them, and Matt LaFleur, who also have a, who also has a success rate of working with quarterbacks that you admire. Um, when, you, when you put together that type of staff around a young quarterback, the history has shown throughout the NFL that it's a recipe for success. And I think right now that's what we're kind of seeing. So, when you look at where the Rams are right now, and um, realistically they're just kind of a, a Cooper Cup drop away 
from being a six and one team. You know, my question is, could the, could you possibly see a scenario where the NFL's second youngest team and the youngest head coach in league history could have a realistic shot at a playoff back? Oh, I would say they have an incredibly realistic shot at the playoffs. Uh, I, I would say that would might be aiming low at this point. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know, I, I think that uh, this is a team that should have an eye on Super Bowl. You have that kind of offense. You have those kinds of players. Um, I don't. I wouldn't. You know, put all your eggs in that basket and say we're going to the Super Bowl. But I would say that's where your eye needs to be. Um, you know, why? Why? Uh, uh, if you aim for the trees, you can only shoot as high as the trees. Aim for the moon. You know, um, I, I think that uh, I, I think this football team has. Um, the wheels, it has the tools, it has the players, it has the coaching, um, you know, to get you there. So um, I, I would say the playoffs, shooting for the playoffs is a little market at this point. Now you get some injuries along the way and, you know, and some things don't shake out, then maybe you can shake your head or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I always shoot for the best possible outcome and, you know, and, and then settle for whatever I get instead of, you know, shooting for the median outcome and then settling for whatever I get. You know, Ben, I can tell you right now, every single person out there listening just, like, hit a backflip. You just made every Rams fan so happy <laughs> by saying that Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I can guarantee you, you just you cause some real excitement. Tomorrow in the comments, we're going to see all kind of excitement talking about Super Bowl, and they're going to be like, Ben said it. So, so you, definitely, uh, you, just, you just took the hype to another level. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> real quick, though, last week um, we spoke with uh, – Liz Habib last week, and uh, she she mentioned you know the uh, the fan base for the Rams, how it's hard in L.A. to uh, get them to buy in because you know it's L.A. is just so much stuff to do, which is no surprise. I think that was the number one thing that most people talked about when the Rams were moving back. And the the thing that you always heard everyone say is the Rams have to win to fill those seats. You know, and um, the, the, the other than the first preseason game where it was kind of like a welcome home party more than let's go watch football, the stadium hasn't really been that packed. Um, now, you know, with the Rams getting better and better, it still hasn't really uh, improved as far as seating goes. You see a lot of empty seats when you watch those home games. But Liv made an interesting point saying that she feels that um, in L.A., it's going to take either a deep playoff run or Super Bowl, which you mentioned, to, you know, really get the fans to come and not just go once, but, you know, consistently doing that. At this point, considering what all the NFL put into this move and just the, the, the energy and all the hype that went into it, if the new stadium is built and the Rams, you know, by some chance, don't maintain this level of consistency. This is the NFL. Things change from year to year all the time. You know, if they don't contain this level of consistency that they're playing at when the new stadium is ready and the stadium isn't packed, would you say that the uh, NFL failed in some ways, or how would they be looked at, you know, just league-wide? How would that really reflect on them? Um, well, I, I think when the new stadium opens, it'll it'll be filled either way because you know L.A. There there's a few things that L.A. loves. It loves money. It loves glitz. It loves glamour. And it loves new. Uh, so when it opens, it's going to be packed. The, the key is going to be to keep it filled longevity, uh, longevity wise. Um, you know L.A. is a different town. It's okay. It, it's funny that the Rams are coming from a similar town in St. Louis, and the fact that uh, it's really a baseball town uh, that turns into a basketball town in the you know in the winter. Um, so you know football has to elbow its way in. Um, I, I think that the Rams are doing 
doing a good job right now. Um, I, I think that the best thing for them right now is for the Chargers to be terrible, and the Chargers are not terrible. They're actually a good football team. Um, you know, the Chargers are going to be renting from the Rams either way, so monetarily uh, they're going to be fine in Los Angeles. Even if it blows up in their face, it's not going to blow up in their face because they're getting a huge check from uh, from Spanos. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I think a playoff run would go a long way, especially initially to, um, you know, to legitimize them, the L.A. fan base. Um, you know, they want a winner. They don't want to be – L.A.'s the, you know, the hip town, you know, with what's new. And, of course, I'm using words that aren't cool or whatever, but they're, you know, they're, they're the town that wants what, what's, what's new and not, you know, they don't want a loser. So um, when you move to the town with a reputation as a loser, you got to turn that around before they really get a buy-in in that city. Uh, and the buy-in is, is fleeting. It's temporary. Loyalty in that town is temporary. So you got to keep on winning, and I think that's the key. I think you just take it one game at a time. You keep winning one foot in front of the other. Next thing you know, you wake up, you're in the playoffs, and, and potentially making a Super Bowl run, and all of a sudden the fans are screaming like they were there the whole time. Ben, let me uh, reset the stage. Albright NFL, for those of you guys that don't follow Ben on Twitter. If you don't, what are you doing? Change that. Albright, two L's, NFL. Um, co-host, My High Sports, 1340, 104.7 FM. Ben, before we let you go, one last question. Um, th- it seems like 2007 more, 2017 more than any is this year where we're seeing things kind of change. The old media, the old NFL is giving way. Peyton Manning's gone. Tom Brady is seemingly at least starting to give some evidence that he's coming to an end. you got the Jaguars coming through. The Rams are coming through. It seems like we're crossing a bridge, and media seems to be doing that as well. We had today the news that Barstool lost its show with ESPN. The Athletic had a big piece in the New York Times. What's your feeling as a, as a radio host, as somebody in this industry, what do you think about sports media, where it is in 2017, especially for the NFL and where we're going? Well, you know, I've seen a couple of dangerous precedents over recent years. Um, the only way you get noticed is with, you know, hyperbolic um, or just outlandish stuff, which is why Barstool even became a thing in the first place. It's, it's, sure. and I apologize to any listeners that like it, but it's, it's clown stuff for the lowest common, for, for people who are not very intelligent, to be honest with you. Um, you look at, uh, you know, you look around the, the league and uh, a, a lot of these, you know, outlets have gone to video only, which uh, most listeners and sure. viewers don't actually the Fox want. They want things that, yeah. Right. They want, uh, you know, it's active listening versus passive listening. Guys want to be able to listen to the background at work. And with the video, you kind of have to engage. Uh, with an article, you have to read it. So those require active participation. Uh, and Whereas if you have a, you know, your, your, your basic guy who's working his cubicle, just wants to listen to crap in the background, you know, he wants to hear about it, but wants to be able to do his job. So the podcasting format, I think, is really the future. Um, I also think that in terms of terrestrial radio, uh, stations are going to have to go away from their current formats. They're going to have to ditch their sales teams. They're going to have to ditch their, their entire format and turn around and go to maybe a brokered air model where they allow hosts to buy a block of airtime and then they turn around and sell the commercial space themselves. That eliminates cost at a radio station and allows them to you know to stay on the air. So um, and it's more profitable for the hosts. So I think uh, I, I think in terms of radio, you can go see a lot more brokered air model uh, on a lot of things. And then you know print. Right now everybody's going paywall. I think it's a mistake. Um, I don't think that ad ad revenue is really you know ad per click revenue is really lucrative. But I think that um, you know people going behind a paywall is a mistake. I think the athletic is ultimately going to buckle in on itself. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, if you guys are listening to this as crap in the background at work, you know damn well who you need to be following. Ben, he just explained it to you. This is where we're going. Mike, you got one more question you want to squeeze in here before yeah. we let Ben go? Real quick, before we get you out of here, I, I have to ask this because if I don't, I feel like I'll get a million emails. But uh, a listener uh, asked this question earlier uh, today. It's from Eric Bullard. And his question was, who does your hair? 
<laughs> so I said I, I had to ask you. <laughs> I had to get it out there. <laughs> you have a fan well, he's who a, ever does your hair. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a he's a very well coiffed young man named Serge. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I do it myself, man. I, I you know I do all that stuff myself. Haircuts, all of it. So. Ben is a talented man. Self-made. He's been mocked. <laughs> <laughs> How did we squeeze that question through? Call, get our producer back. I need to talk to Hey, Ben, it's all right NFL, everybody, on Twitter. You're looking for crap to listen in the background. There's nobody better. Ben, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, guys, thanks for having me, and I uh, hope to have this discussion again when you guys are uh, in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. We'll nice. make it happen, man. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Ben Albright, everybody. Just us. Albright yeah. NFL. Co-host, My High Sports, 1340, 104.7 FM. If you don't know Ben, you're going to. His career is taking off. Just You might as well do it now. Pay attention. Yeah. Um, I had ben, to get that question ben, in about sports media. Just be, what, do you, what do you got? No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just saying. It's, it's, the last two weeks, we, you know, we had Liz Habib the week on following Cam Newton's comments. We have, you know, Ben Albright, an media-centric week. Barstool losing their show on ESPN, the athletic piece in New York Times. Uh, it's one of those things where we're trying to focus on the big picture. As much as we got these small picture things that we got to deal with as Rams fans and week-to-week with game action, I thought that was a good guess. And uh, definitely thanks to Liz we, last week as much as we thanked her on the show. But thanks again in the uh, contentious week for women in media. And thanks again to Ben for coming on today. It was an interesting spot, man. Yeah, it was. You know, Ben is – he has one of the uh, more interesting Twitter follows to, to follow out there. That's that's for sure. Uh, the last time he was on, I, I made sure I kept how to go follow him because it's full of stuff. It's full of stuff. As he put it, it was a, and it's one of, a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, well, and he, he's, he's one of these guys that has crafted a niche for himself where most local, whether it's radio or – uh, newspaper or TV people have really plugged into their local markets. Ben is one of these guys who's plugged into the league and is plugged into sources yes. and is plugged into news. And those are the kind of guys that you follow because when he says something, it's not his opinion. The way like when we say it or when other people in Los Angeles media say it, they're giving their opinion, and there's tons of value to that, especially for people that are around the Rams constantly day in, day out. When Ben says something, it's because he's hearing it from the NFL, from coaches, exactly. from, uh, you know, the analysts from people in the front office and scouts and things like that. And I don't know that there's anybody better for the next 10, 20 years to follow the NFL than Benjamin Albright. Speaking of what you're following in the next couple of years of the NFL, we've talked out to frame this quite specifically. The NFL is turning a page. Um, and I, I keep, I keep struggling to find the right way to define it because Peyton's already out of the league. Tom Brady's still in it. Drew Brees is in it. Phil Rivers is in it, but those guys are, coming to the end of their careers, and you can see it on the field. And, and last week where we had a game against the Jaguars that was kind of a preview of the next NFL, this week we had a new versus old, a new Rams team versus the old Arizona team, and the result that we got was quite definitive. What do you think moving forward is going to play into this dynamic? And I mentioned it on the uh, our interview with Ben. There's this huge now discussion, this narrative across all kinds of the sports sites and NFL media that this is a weird year for the NFL, that there's so much parity and there's no great team. There's a couple bad teams. you got the Browns, you got the 49ers, even the Giants as a surprise, quote-unquote, bad team. But you got some bad teams in there. But there's nobody who's really raced out to the front 
but you've got a couple tiers in there, and that's what's creating a really interesting dynamic for this year, maybe as we look to what's coming for the NFL in years to come. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this the other day, and I was, um, well, yesterday when I was looking at just kind of what the standings was right now and records and overall, and it's really everybody's with this game or a half a game. Okay, it's you know? weird. Yeah. And I got to thinking about it, and, you know, it was kind of like deja vu. And I started thinking about the past couple of years. Um, at this point in the season, over the last three or four years now, this has been a common narrative uh, where there's a lot of teams right there with each other, and then it's about halfway towards the that second, third week of November, things starts to break up. The uh, the truly ready to roll for the playoffs, they start to step forward. And then the ones that was kind of hanging around, they start to fall off. And then those, everyone else is just there in the middle fighting for what's left, you know. And I, I honestly think that's what it's kind of going to be more of this year just because of the consistency in which that has happened. I think the true parity is with those yeah. teams that, you know, you have those top three teams or two, three, four teams maybe. Uh, but then after that, the true parity is probably those the top five through 12 where those teams are always right there neck and neck uh, where you, and it changes every year. That group changes every year. The top four is probably going to stay the top four with the exception of the Patriots. They're probably going to stay the top four for three years, something like that. Similar to the Seahawks. The Seahawks are probably in that second group with everybody else now, but for about three years there, they was one of those top four. And when 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 I was looking at it, I started thinking, I said, the real interesting change in things to look forward to as we move forward is um, the running backs. You know, running backs lost their value there for a while, and now you're starting to see them go higher in the draft again. And in doing so, you're starting to see guys become more bell cows. You know, you're you see the Le'Veon Bell carrying the ball 20 times, Todd Gurley. You see David Johnson before he got hurt, Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette. Starting, yeah. <laughs> Leonard yeah. Fournette. They're starting to. The teams are really leaning on the run this year and last year, Ezekiel Elliott, more than they have in recent years. If you remember a couple years ago, I think we had three 5,000-yard passers. <laughs> you know, we don't have three. We didn't have three last year. Um, we didn't have one, you know. <laughs> you know, and I think that's kind of what the NFL, as this wave kind of starts to change, and you see the passing of the torch. Tom Brady has a few years left, and, Peyton Manning's already gone. Drew Brees probably has another year or two left. The passing of the torch has kind of started to go towards the uh, running backs, which I think is going to be a very interesting trend moving forward as it will be more smashed by football as it used to be. You mentioned one of the things that I'm – especially with this bye week that I'm going to be intensely focused on is the idea that of the – and and you said the third week in November – I won't even do that. I'm just going to use a hypothetical point in November where football Mm -hmm. goes from regular season football to pre-postseason football. You know what I'm saying? For you, you said third week. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of my poetic license as managing editor. I'm going to say, I don't know when the hell it is, but at some point the NFL goes from regular season football to pre-postseason football. And I think one of those things that we need to focus on, you got a bullet here, so let's go through these, of what needs to be addressed during the bye week, because essentially what we're talking about is getting this tune-up between now and, and whenever we go to pre-post-season football. What, what do you got that you want to see addressed for the Rams? First things first is turnovers. You can't win games if you turn the ball over. Um, so far, 
Uh, Jared Goff has thrown uh, four interceptions, and uh, we've had a whole lot of fumbles. <laughs> you know, uh, just way too many times fumbles. the ball has been on the ground. Ty Gurley has five by himself. Again, that's by himself. We haven't even played half the games in the season. <laughs> you know, so we put the ball on the ground so much, and then you had in the four interceptions. Just there's way too many turnovers going on so far. Uh, they've so obviously with the record it shows they've been able to overcome it for the most part. But you know, you look at the Seahawks game where there was five, and to lose the game off a last last second drop, it is is real. It's really telling of how critical those turnovers, uh, these how critical it is to get those turnovers uh, corrected going into, like you said, this pre-postseason part of the season. Because um, you got maybe four more games before you're at that point where, okay, now we got to get ready for these playoffs if we're going to make it. This is the time to do it. You know, those last four or five of the season is where things really start to click. So I would definitely say turnovers is the, the biggest thing. What's your thoughts on it? Nope, I'm with you. The the fumbles got to get, and it looked like we did a good job against that last week. The good thing was the well, the one interception that Jared Goff had came on a fluky play where he was throwing to a space that he thought Gurley was going to fill. Yeah, a lot of people thought it was interference. It seemed like they could have been a flag. Either way, it was it wasn't the kind of throw that should worry you. It was just a a mixed up play that they didn't execute properly. But it wasn't Goff missing a throw, and the fact that they got that cleaned up this week. You know, after five turnovers against Seattle, you know, to get that cleaned up a little bit, I think is heartening. Uh, we, look, we're coming into the media season. I'm with you. We got to make sure turnovers are limited as much as they can be. Absolutely. Um, after that, it's timeout usage, and I, you know what? I respect Sean McVay so much more because after the game, he he spoke on it. And, you know, you, maybe like three or four times he talked about it for like two minutes. In that two minutes, man, like three or four times, he prepared to explain himself. He got ready to, then he stopped. It was like, you know what? I'm not going to make excuses. I just need to do better. You know, and it, it's so natural to be like, oh, well, this is why I did it. And, you know, I think that's what those moments was each time he got ready to. But then every time he caught himself, and he's just like, nope, not going to make excuses. I got to do better. And that's something I'm going to address myself here in the bye week to uh, get better as just time management and not blowing through those times. I mean, they ran out of timeouts in the first quarter. What's great about the logic Yeah uh-huh. What's great about the logic of the fans who, uh, And I threw it out there Because we've talked about it on the podcast I tweeted about it during the game As soon as they blew the first one I tweeted it There was about 10 people who tweeted back defending it We blew the second <laughs> one I tweeted it out There was maybe one or two still defending it They blew the third Nobody There was nobody And here's the thing if, if if you follow the logic of blowing the first, then you might as well blow all three timeouts. I mean, you said the first quarter. They blew it. There was, I think, 11 minutes left in the second quarter. But if you follow the logic of, well, I don't like the look of this play. I'm going to call a timeout. You could blow all three timeouts in the first half of the first quarter. You're, you're going yeah. gonna to come up against looks that you don't like. You've got to have hot routes and audibles and backup calls and ways to get around that other than using your timeouts. Now, he was the, the, the lucky thing. Part of it was that the Rams executed well in the situation, but part of it was obviously they were facing the Cardinals, who did about as poorly as they could given the situation. Cardinals punt the ball away, two minutes remaining. We have no timeouts. Not only do the Rams go down and score a touchdown, on the ensuing possession, they create another interception and get a thir- another field goal. They scored 10 points in the two-minute drill with no timeouts. That's, that's not normal. <laughs> 
And here's the thing. No. We talked about our our hypothetical third week of November pre-post fo- uh, season football change. You're not gonna you're not gonna play teams that do that. When we're getting into playing the Eagles and playing the Seahawks and and getting ready for the postseason, you're not gonna give te- you're not gonna play teams giving you that kind of opportunity. If if there's something you don't like about the look, you got to work out of it on the field. You can't waste those timeouts because the next time we're in the two minute drill, we're gonna need them, and we're not gonna be playing teams that are fielding us ten points to, to finish a half. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of uh, finishing the half. Usually when you're in a position where it's the end of the half, whether it's the first half or second half, uh, teams are trying to put up points in those situations, not more times than not. Um, and that's when you usually try to push the ball downfield passing. And when the Rams, and considering the Rams are, you know, averaging over 30 points a game, they've scored 30 points four different times this season, which leads the NFL. Uh, they're ahead more times than not. Um, considering sure. that, what are the Rams going to do about getting to the, the, the quarterback more frequently without the blitz. Uh, the pass rush needs to be improved. Um, they're just not getting there. And we're going to touch on it a little bit here from a couple of fans who yeah. uh, spoke about Robert Quinn and the, their questions. But um, sure. the, the, there needs to be something improved um, just overall. Like the line, the D-line is getting there. D-line has actually played extremely well dating back to the Cowboys sure. game. They're getting there, but they're not getting there in time. Um, how, how, how should this be addressed here over the bye week? I don't know. And it's worrisome because the, the, and the reason I put this in there on our agenda was one of the things I noticed at Arizona was we were getting home with the blitz, but the risk that you always have with the blitz is that you're leaving space open. And because we were facing Drew Stanton in the second half, we got away with it. There were a couple plays where we were throwing extra guys. Even the play where we injured Carson Palmer, that was Alec Ogletree yeah. coming up the middle. And we vacated space. He he didn't get to throw his reads fast enough or get outside the pocket. I mean, Carson Palmer's not the most mobile of guys. But we're going to face quarterbacks yeah. where Alec Ogletree makes that pressure and they get out of it. You remember Dak Prescott against Aaron Donald, that escapability that he had, uh, I think it was the fourth quarter. Guys can yeah. make those kind of plays. Kirk Cousins can make those kind of plays against us in the game that we lost. Russell Wilson can make those kind of plays. There are quarterbacks that can make those kind of plays that aren't Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. If you can't get a consistent pass rush without having to blitz guys, you're opening up parts of the field, and that's a, that's a vulnerability of this team. I, to me, it might be the biggest vulnerability. It might be the biggest deficiency for this roster is that we don't have an edge rush depth chart that we can rely on to get pressure without extra blitzers. And I think that might be the biggest deficiency, whether it's over the bye week or over this period between now and the pre-postseason football that we've got to figure out. And I, I would definitely agree. Um, even when we blitz, we're still not getting the quarterback down as Sometimes, much sure. as you would think, <laughs> you yeah. know, considering uh, yeah. how often we have blitz. Um, and, and Wade Phillips, he has, he has a history for – being a guy that likes to send pressure, like he's whether it's a run blitz, blitz or a pass blitz, he's going to send pressure. He's going to try to get there. He's going to try to cause havoc in the backfield more times than not. Um, and it just hasn't it hasn't produced the results that you would expect, especially when you look at his history uh, calling defense calling defenses. He's had a, a long history. Of, you know, we talked about their overall rankings, but they've also been very, very good throughout the years in getting to the quarterback. So it's definitely something that needs to be improved. Um, moving forward, and so, you, well, uh, you think about who he's had there ahead. too, though, Myson. As you think about, you think about who he's had in those spots. Demarcus Ware, 
for the Cowboys, Von Miller with the Denver Broncos. He's always had that premier guy, and I think we're all hoping for Robert Quinn to be that guy. He hasn't to this point, right? In the I think that's the concern. You said we got some listener questions, so we can wait on it till then. But the bottom line is the Rams need Robert Quinn to step up and be that guy if they're going to be equally as successful against some of the tougher teams in the second half of the season as they have been in the first half. So uh, just kind of move forward to the last thing that we want to look at before uh, before the uh, within the bye to get corrected is Jared Goff needing to just start faster. One thing that I have been pleasantly surprised by and uh, really actually extremely um, inspired. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how much how much uh, better he gets at it and how long he stays this way. If this is truly who he is, and that's his uh, kind of playing with ice in his veins. Uh, as the game goes on, Jared Goff gets better. Um, he plays way better in second halves of games than he does in the first half. When he gets past the 50 into the uh, opponent's side, uh, he plays better football on that side of the field. Uh, he just gets better as the game goes and the, the situation changes. But the problem is starting slow. Um, the back half of the Rams' schedule is shaping up to be the harder uh, harder part of the, the schedule this year. Um, they have the Vikings. you know, They have the Saints. They have the Eagles. They have the Seahawks. These are four games out of five. In a five-week spin, these are four teams they have to play, and all four of those teams, they start off fast and they finish strong. Uh, the Rams finish strong, but they don't necessarily always start off fast. Um, I would say that considering uh, how slow he, he started some games uh, in the back half of the schedule, the way things are shaping out, you know, like you mentioned, that, that pre-postseason part of the season – that's sort of the beginning of it right there with that slate of games. Sure. Uh, you know, they have the Cardinals in there in the middle who, uh, again, you know, wishing Carson Palmer the best and a speedy recovery, whether he returns or not next year. Uh, Cardinals there in the middle, they have Drew Stanton starting. I don't think Drew Stanton is going to get them going on a, as fast a start as, you know, Drew Brees is going to get his Saints or, 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 wait for it, maybe Case Keenum gets the Vikings, you know. Uh, they, on, they, 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 those teams, <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> You know, though, but you know, give it to Case. You know, he's gotten them. He's got. He's kept them in it with Bradford down, Teddy Bridgewater down. He's kept them in it, and they continue to have very, very quick starts to their games. Um, with that, with that in mind, we're looking forward, and we're saying that you know, this is where Jared Goff has to really take the time to say, look over the games, the previous seven games, and say, okay, what can I do better to finish off this season on a stronger note? What are your thoughts on the uh, the, the subject? I don't have any. You know, I think you, you clarified them pretty well in the way you framed that, is that there's this discrepancy, and we saw it against Arizona, the discrepancy against how conservative we were and how slowly we started, although yeah, it's hard to discredit that game plan, the way it worked overall against Arizona. He, here's the one point I would bring up, completely unrelated to that, because I think you laid that out pretty well, and we referenced it. It's, it's the idea of the pre-postseason football. All, all of these four things that you're talking about is things that the Rams need to address in the bye week. They would have been the same as if the bye week was in week four. What, what really we're talking about, Myson, is that they need to address these before that week three or whatever it is part of November when this team gets ready to make a playoff push. They, they're going to be facing those teams, fast start or not, when it matters most, when, they, when they're trying to get – to make sure that they make the playoffs, to get a playoff seed and do what this team hasn't done for 14 years. The, the only way they do that is if they start to address these things, to address 
timeouts and to get a, some kind of a pass rush without the blitz and to manage their timeouts better early in halves and to get better starts early in games. If they have these same problems against those teams that you called out, the, those those are the teams where it makes sense that we're going to lose. What I'm worried about is those games that don't make sense in a year like this, where we can all look at the, the, the schedule thus far for the Rams, and even as fans who may be a little blind to the homerism can say, yeah, I can see how this made sense for every single game. A lot of these games aren't making any sense, and there's going to be games that I'm worried about coming up where we look at it and say, there's no way the Rams lose to this team that we drop because that's just the nature of the NFL. You're going to drop a couple games like that every season. The Rams, even if they drop one or two of those, they're still in great position to make the playoffs, but it only happens if they address these things moving forward. And the, 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 the interesting dynamic, I know we're getting short on time before we get to listen to questions. The interesting dynamic for me is that they don't have experience doing this. Nobody does except for the newest Rams. Guys like the three 30-year-olds that they sit to begin practice every week, Andrew Whitworth, John Sullivan, Connor Barwin, those guys have experience doing it. But nobody who's been on this roster, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Javon Brown, Rob Havenstein, uh, Alec Ogletree, Trumaine Johnson, those guys haven't played meaningful pre-postseason football. Those guys haven't played meaningful December football. The only person who had was Roger Saffold, and that was his rookie season back in 2010. So this team isn't a team built of guys who know what it takes to correct those issues and get through November into December to get ready for the postseason. That might be the most interesting dynamic to me as a whole, is that as a team trying to make the playoffs just like the Jaguars, this is essentially a rookie playoff contender team. And figuring out how they do that, for the youngest head coach in the NFL <laughs> while he's trying to turn around this franchise might be the most interesting storyline of all. And you know what? That is the perfect uh, stopping point before we go into the uh, listener questions because listeners have asked a lot of questions uh, this week, and uh, there's, there's been some good ones, and, you know, a couple of them about being able to turn things around as we move forward. And, there's know, one bad one. Success Let's like just say it. There's one horrible question that I'm going to be very upset to deal with, so let's do it. <laughs> All right, so real quick, I know I talked about it earlier. There was quite a few people that asked about between Facebook and Twitter that asked about uh, Robert Quinn. And uh, the, the interesting thing about it is, you know, we touched on it a little bit, is even with all the uh, blitzes and pressures that's being created uh, with the, just as a unit, you're not getting there as much as you would expect considering how much that uh, is being sent at the opposing offenses. However, when it comes to Robert Quinn, I think people are kind of more so just looking at the sack total as opposed to just overall disruption. Um, Absolutely agree. Second in the league in pressures. uh, Or not, excuse me, not league, but second on the team in pressures. Aaron Donald is number one. Um, He's number one on the team in pressures uh, between quarterback sacks, hits, and uh, knockdowns, uh, being in the face, being there, just being disruptive. Uh, Quinn is second. Uh, uh, Big quarterback hits. He has six QB hits. Uh, he has uh, nine pressures, and he has two and a half sacks. You know, so he's been getting there. He just haven't – they haven't translated it to sacks. Now, one thing I have noticed, which I, which is why I uh, enjoyed the questions that were said there, the thing that I've noticed the most when reviewing film is that Quinn – the thing that has made Quinn so special is, is two things, actually, is his, his unbelievable speed off the edge, that get off is rare, you know, which he still has. He is he continues to show that. You saw it in the play uh, ye- uh, yesterday where Aaron Donald got the sack. Quinn's get off right. caused the sack because he got there so quick. The quarterback had to step up 
to try to dodge Quinn because he completely beat the tackle off the line and he ran right into Aaron Donald. If he didn't move as fast as Quinn was coming, he was going to be absolutely destroyed. You know, so the, the get off is still there. The difference is his ability to bend isn't the same after that back surgery. Uh, he doesn't bend like he used to be damn near parallel to the ground. It just it's not the same anymore. He doesn't now when he tries to bend like that to that degree. You see him fall a lot. You see his body hit the ground, and then he gets up, and he plays with such a high motor, he keeps going. But that fall is just enough time to get the pass off. You know, So I would say that's the biggest difference I've seen is that he can't bend the way that he did post-back surgery as he looked before the back surgery. It's just it's not the same. However, is he, uh, is he just a bad player now? No. Is he the same Robert Quinn? Well, obviously not if he's missing – one of the two key things that he had before, but is he still probably one of the better edge rushers? Yeah, considering that he is continuously putting pressure on the quarterback. He's just not getting the sacks. However, our leading sack uh, sack artist this year is Mac Longacre with four, and Donald's behind him with three, and Donald you know, and Connor Barlow both have three. So to answer your question, there is definitely a drop off in Robert Quinn. He can't seem to bend the way that he could before, but he is still causing a lot of havoc off the edge, but we need someone to get there more often. Um, and one thing, one thing on to that? keep an eye on with Robert Quinn is that he's a bit of a victim of his own success, is that you see a lot of quarterbacks, when they start to feel pressure, start to run away. And part of it is just natural because they're right-handed, but they know that Robert yeah. Quinn's coming from behind them. And so they, they always flush to the other side. And there's no this isn't a condemnation of, you know, Connor Barwin or anybody else on that side, but there's no Chris Long over there. There's nobody to wrap that edge the way that he used to when he was in his prime. Exactly. And because of that, you've got heat coming up the middle from Aaron Donald consistently. You've got a lot of pressure coming from Robert Quinn on the backside. Well, I guarantee you, if you watch this, well, let's mark it down now. If people, if listeners watch this over the next couple of weeks, you'll see quarterbacks as they get flushed, consistently flush away from Robert Quinn. They have an escape route. Um, the other thing that a lot of people ask, I mean, I feel like this is probably going to be something that as the year goes on, we're going to get asked more. A lot of people ask about Sammy Watkins. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people ask about the trade. Um, just, you know, was this a good trade? What is this trade similar to? What's the problem? Why can't we get him the ball? I never was a fan of this trade. <laughs> like, I really wasn't. I know I talked about it a bunch. See, we, get, we, get, we need to do something. Like, we got to find out. See, this is one of those things, almost like the Tavon Austin thing early in the season, one of those things that you and I disagree with. we got to find make sure we get one of these an episode. Exactly. <laughs> this is that one. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just – I'm not a fan of – I wasn't a fan of the trade. I know in our staff chat, I, you know, uh, somebody called it a blockbuster, blockbuster trade, and I made a remark like, is it a blockbuster trade? And Joe's the first one to respond like, it isn't. Love it. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I was never a huge fan of the trade. I thought it was okay, but I wasn't crazy about it, and I still stand by that. Multiple reasons. One, I don't think that Sammy Watkins is a bad fit. You know, he's not a bad fit, which was one of the questions that was proposed uh, today. He's not a bad fit. But the issue is this offense is not designed for a go-to guy. The ball is going to be spread around. I say this every week, but you're going to have a different go-to target every week. (laughs) You know, it it changes. It varies. It's just that simple. Uh, Timmy Watkins isn't a bad fit, but if if, if he or people in general are expecting him to touch the ball a lot, way more than everyone else, 
then yeah, that would make him a bad fit in your eyes. But no, he's not a bad fit. He's he's here. He does what's needed. Uh, one thing that I don't think people know about Sammy Watkins this year is that I believe he has 15 receptions and 13 have gone for first downs. So <laughs> almost every time he touches the ball, it's a first down. You know, so he's there for a reason. He's doing his job, but he's not going to touch the ball a lot. And that's why I didn't think it was a, a, a great trade is because it didn't seem like a necessity. And I don't see Sammy Watkins as that top-tier receiver, <laughs> you know, He's not a Julio Jones, an Antonio Brown, a, an Odell Beckham Jr. to me. You know, he, I, he's not a Mike Evans. I think he's more of a, a Dez Bryant, the next tier down from that top-tier receiver, which is why I'm not crazy about the trade. But, hey, it is what it is. What do you got on it, Joe, before we get to the next one? Yeah, see, I still love the trade. I would I would say three things. Number one, <clears throat> you're right. He's not – and I, I did a hit on SB Nation Radio last night um, – talking about the idea that that the Rams are not a great fantasy team, outside of Todd Gurley. Jared yeah. Goff's not putting up gaudy numbers. None of the receivers or tight ends are putting up gaudy numbers. And it's you're right, it's because they're spreading it around. They're not forcing it to anybody. Todd Gurley is getting the majority of the work. And because of that, they don't have to force it to anybody. But what makes Sammy Watkins so valuable, and this is part two and part three and why I still back the trade, is that number one – he can sincerely – the way you talked about Tavon Austin as a legitimate threat when he comes in motion and the things that his speed does yeah, for the defense, yeah. he, Sammy Watkins can be a legitimate threat down the field, especially the Absolutely. first down rate that you mentioned, that, that when you take away a Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals' defense, what it means for everybody else, and that to me remains the biggest part of the, the, the trade deal – is that it allows Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and Tavon Austin to go against the matchups they do instead of imagining a Rams team without Sammy Watkins where Robert Woods is going against Patrick Peterson and Cooper Cup is your starter on the outside and Tavon Austin is your starter in the slot. Because Sammy Watkins is there, all those guys get much easier matchups, and it makes the versatility of the offense, the, the idea that Jared Goff can work the field and work the spacing and go to anybody, much more viable because those matchups are better. Without Sammy Watkins, I don't know that that's possible. I get that the idea would still be there, that you could still go to Robert Woods against Patrick Peterson and Cooper Cup and Tavon Austin and whoever else would be there, Josh Reynolds, Farrell Cooper, Jared Everett. But because Sammy Watkins is there and the talent level that he has going up against Patrick Peterson, no, he may not be a Julio Jones. He may not be one of the best three wide receivers in the NFL, but he's good enough to offer some credibility that, that Patrick Peterson and the safeties have to respect. Now, here's the interesting dynamic, Myson, and this is what I worry about because we've seen it the last two to three weeks, is that Sammy Watkins quite clearly doesn't believe that every play, right? We, it's, it's not that he's giving up on plays. It's that he's giving up on the idea that it can be anybody every play. And because of that, he's not, he, he's not, he's not sincere about the idea that it could be him on the play because he's seeing a right. double team and he's saying, well, it's got to go to somebody else. But Jared Goff doesn't give, he doesn't care about that. He's, he's nope. looking at the field, and he's going to where he wants to to force the defense to respect it, and sometimes that's Sammy Watkins, and they're just not on the same page. And, and whether, that, whether that means they've got to communicate better or do some more work pregame or whether Sammy Watkins just has to go 100% and tire himself out, and if that's what happens, we'll rotate him out, 
they got to figure that out because that's the biggest problem. To me, it's not the idea of Sammy Watkins being on the team. It's Sammy Watkins not being Sammy Watkins every play. Okay, so real quick before we get out of here to get on to our college uh, segment, two things, two questions. First one, very quick and simple. So when asked about Sean McVay and going no huddle in the second half, I personally had no problem with it because as we touched on earlier in the show, we saw a 10-play or excuse me, a uh, a 16-play, 10-minute, 16-second drive with no huddle. I think what, what I've noticed so far, I think what he's doing is when he goes no huddle, it's more so for Jared Goff to speed it up, don't give them enough time to really make too many substitutions. And during that time, Jared Goff has two plays that sent into him. Because they're going no huddle, he has a longer period of the play clock to play with to scan the defense to figure out which play to run, and that's what he was doing during that entire second half was scanning the field, and then he'll choose to play at the last second. Uh, so I'm okay with the um, the no huddle in the second half. But real quick, last question, uh, and that's because someone talked about this. Uh, this was asked multiple times about Jared Everett so far this season, and that's why has Jared Everett's role diminished so much since um, or because of the thigh contusion weeks ago? Is he still heppered? Is Higby that much better? Joe, go for it, <laughs> because my answer was very short. Yeah, no, no, I, lo- I love young Gerald, and I, I, I've expected him to see more. You know, what's, here's what I would say. You, you talked about the, the no huddle. I don't know that the Rams get a better mimicry of the preseason than they do of the second half last week, where they can install certain things. So you talk about the no huddle. When, when are they going to get to practice that in real time? When is the second yeah. team going to get better snaps than they did late in the game last week? That was the opportunity. So if Gerald Everett is still nursing an injury, if there's some hesitation to bring him in because he's a year behind Tyler Higby, there's no reason to force it last week. You got the bye week. If Gerald Everett has some kind of injury that he's nursing, let him heal up. If this continues week to week moving forward, especially in games where we're more aggressive in a passing game, especially in second halves where we need to pass versus the second half this last week where we obviously need to just kill clock, then I might have some more concern. But let's let's wait and see on Joe. Uh, my answer is really short and simple. Uh, yes, Tyler Higby is that much better. Um, you look at, and this is something I said in the preseason, I'm standing by it. Um, the thing is, you look at Gerald Everett's production, half of his yardage came on one reception, and it wasn't uh, just amazing route running or anything like that. It wasn't designed that way. Sure. It was a broken play. Where Jared Goff got out the pocket, it was a broken play, and he got left uncovered 30 yards downfield and skated for 70 yards. That was half of his production for the season. Um, now, that's not to say that Jared Everett is a bad player or anything like that, but Tyler Higby, as Joe mentioned, is, has a whole year under his belt. He's a better player right now than Gerald Everett is, and I said that in the preseason. I'm standing by it. I don't think that Gerald Everett is going to overthrow Tyler Higby as the number one tight end in this offense. I just don't see a scenario where that happens. He played more snaps earlier in the season, but he didn't play more snaps than Tyler Higby at any point during the season. And I think that's what people have to realize. The other part of that is not be, the other part of him not playing more the same amount of snaps now. It has nothing to do with Tyler Higby because, as I said, he didn't play more snaps than Tyler Higby. He just played more than what he's playing now. But Derek Carrier is around now, who has an understanding and who's been around and knows Sean McVay's offense. He's now on the he's now in fold. So him and Gerald Everett are actually splitting the snaps that Gerald Everett had before, and Tyler Higby is still getting his regular workload. With that being said, let's move on. Joe, what do you got for us for college football before we get out of here? Saquon Barkley is good. 
<laughs> Saquon Barkley is the motherfucking man. I will say, I will say this. Not for that drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing, I, and that I respect about college football is that you saw it from the Rams against the Cardinals that there was this professional respect of okay, we're going to grind the clock out. But even though it's Bruce Arians and he said these things about you know the you know uh, Sean McVay's predecessor. There was this sense yeah. of let's keep it professional. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. We just want to finish this game with mutual respect. That doesn't really happen in college. You got Penn State where they are still in the fourth <laughs> quarter trying to embarrass Michigan with, with every snap until the game's over. There's something about that. I get it. It's not as professional. It's not as mature. But damn it if it's not more fun. You know what? All I have to say is the way that they beat Michigan, um, and Michigan being number 19 going into the game, there's a very good chance Michigan will be unranked. <laughs> you know, uh, unranked come, come uh, the rankings tomorrow. So we'll see how that shakes out. But I don't know if uh, Jim Harbaugh's team in college has ever been unranked before. So this could be a first. But, yeah, it was it was definitely a whooping. I enjoyed watching that one. That one was good. Here's the thing. This was a, after week uh, six. Week seven was a bit of a, a softening where we could breathe and get ready for the season ahead. What What's great is that, or excuse me, week seven was the the breathe week, or the crazy week. Week eight was the breather. Now that we get into week nine, uh, things are going to get silly, man, because you've got so much in the air. You got Penn State, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida. TCU, Iowa State, here's the weirdest game on the schedule. I know we talked about them earlier in the year. North Carolina State is now 14th overall, and people are starting to talk about this team the way I wasn't, where I just meant when I was saying it a month ago, I was like, yeah, these guys aren't bad. Now people are saying they're good. Number yeah. nine, Notre Dame. The only loss they got is that Georgia game. That's, that might be the best game of the weekend, and Penn State, Ohio State's two and six. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I definitely was watching the uh, USC game, and I was just like, "Wow, that's pretty." Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what I think I've come to expect from USC. But Notre Dame, on the other hand, I was thoroughly impressed. Um, I think we're like you said, we're at that point where we're going to start seeing the who's serious here. As we talked about, there's always two weekends where those top teams just start dropping like flies. The first weekend already happened where you saw a bunch of undefeateds lose. Another one's coming. So uh, we only have a few oh. weeks before we know who it is, but I, I definitely like what Notre Dame no is doing. Also, real quick, I will say Missouri one, Tigers, one, Missouri Tigers won 68 21. <laughs> That's all that matters. Beautiful. <laughs> Come see I will North say Texas. one thing. <laughs> I saw you. All right, well, let me make my more North Texas. One thing I will say is that, and I get it, we have a bunch of fans at USC that listen to the podcast that are Rams fans as well. It's only going to help the Rams that in a year where the Dodgers are in the World Series, USC's playoff hopes are essentially over because now if you're looking towards in two weeks when the World Series is over, you've got that window for football to carry the top of the cover uh, above the fold for newspapers in L.A., to carry the first segment for radio segments. And without USC there, there's a good opportunity. Look, the Chargers have won the last three games. You could be talking NFL in L.A. as a primary segment for sports media. Now, you mentioned UNT. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It was an ugly game. Don't hate. We're coming back. <laughs> Conference USA, we're going to get it done. 
don't watch UNT this week. You got better things to do. You got better football to watch. I love the fact that I love the fact that people are actually talking about UNT, but please don't watch this game. Many better football games on college and in the NFL to watch even on the bye week. <laughs> All right, well, with that being said, we're going to get out of here uh, definitely by week, so make sure that you are watching as many other games as you can and basically scouting the Rams' remaining opponents uh, as we move forward. But make sure you follow the site at Turf Showtime. Uh, follow myself at Mighty or Myson and Joe at 3K underscore. Uh, yeah, next week we, uh, we're going to be back next week. By week or not, we'll be back next weekend ready to roll, going into the Giants game. Lots to discuss. The return of Janoris Jenkins, Jackrabbit. <laughs> so, so stick around. All right, we out of here. Peace. Thanks for Ben Albright.
inside man. If Eric can't get it, I will and I can. I'm strong as it comes, but I've got a brain. And stopping me is like stopping a train. I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coach in LB. This motorcycle, this has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass. Your name's intimidated. I pass it my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The Iceman Cummer, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, interception's my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat as you will see. The guys call me tickets that are dick son. I lead the reins, I'm the ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness and the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, want a brainy one. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. Sammy Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, Maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.